Sup, you beautiful bastards. Welcome back to the Philip DeFranco Show. I got a fantastic Thursday show for you, but first, a friendly but aggressive reminder that you only have a few days left if you want to snag yourself one of the tie-dye emotionally exhausted tees. Are you taking care of yourself gear? And or embrace change comfy goodness. All available now at beautifulbastard.com, top link down below, but welcome back. Hit that like button and let's just jump into it. You know, the first thing we have to talk about today is streamer and coward Ethan Klein threatening myself in the show yesterday. Right yesterday at the home office, we have that are you taking care of yourself background that happened to have a bunny that a number of you for some reason got attached to. So yesterday I passed on the responsibility to y'all to name the rabbit with the top two being a fucking course, uh, Gary, your horrible, horrible monsters, uh, and Floppy DeFranco because it shortens to if I'm Philly D, then it's Floppy D. Your children. I thought y'all were gonna say something like Bunny McBunny face, and you're like, no, we're gonna make it about dicks. But apparently on Ethan's podcast, who I think their primary goal is to just like damage the Teddy Fresh brand for his wife, he and his team fired some shots because apparently in one of their backgrounds, they have a rabbit. He's added a rabbit in his background. That's bullshit. Yo. That's death. He's on Twitter today being like, what should we name the rabbit? I'm taking down your channel, doing a yeah, copyright. Claim him. Claim him. <laughs> what should he name the bunny then? Judas. Fraud. Yeah, Judas. Ja Rule. So there you have it, Nation. I hate being the bearer of bad news, but villain Ethan Klein doesn't want you to have Floppy D, despite how much y'all love Floppy D. But with that, please know that one out of every $10 spent over at beautifulbastard.com will go towards the Floppy D defense fund. Because I'll tell you one thing for fucking damn sure, Ethan, you're not getting hands on my Floppy D. Okay, I'm done with that joke. Moving on. And then, y'all, we need to talk about this crazy situation with a creator by the name of Amaranth and her stalker. Amaranth, aka Caitlin, opening up about this and just the sheer level of crazy is horrifying. So let's walk through it together. With Caitlin writing, my stalker traveled from Estonia and came to my city camping out in a hotel with line of sight to my P.O. box and spent over a month camping out daily at a Starbucks next to my P.O. box. 44 days, he psychotically streamed every minute of his excursion, internet signal permitting, everything in real time on Twitch. Typically to zero viewers, but growing as he gained notoriety. Going on to say Twitch would remove the account, but then this guy would just create a new one, change the number and the name. Going on to say to make this trip possible, this guy sold all his worldly possessions, his car, his house, saying that she was scared because he would walk around with a saxophone case. And yes, he would sometimes play saxophone, but sometimes she wondered, would he bring a weapon? And saying, I tried to be clear while he was in my Twitch chat, I'd clearly state, I don't want him to come, I don't want to meet him, he'd say liar, liar. Also saying he would make dancing videos reminiscent of the Buffalo Bill dance scene in Silence of the Lambs and he would keep sending them to her. With all that leading to Monday, June 13th. With Caitlin saying he got dressed up and made the last mile journey to her house. Saying he cased it for 30 minutes, cops declined to act. He streamed himself outside, slinking around, mumbling about how he knew it was wrong, but I have to. And saying when he started trying to break in and gain entry, I called 911. Noting dispatch was rude, cutting me off, putting me on hold, saying it took 33 minutes for me calling 911 to them showing up and saying, luckily unknown to the stalker, an armed person or a group of people, some who I employ, had been over at my house for protection, heavily armed, behind cameras, with a security system, big guard dogs. But they're saying that this guy ultimately got arrested and detained, the embassy was contacted, but as of now, he is currently not in Houston and that's all she can say for now. Right, so just a horrifying, insane situation that no one should have to go through. And obviously much of the reaction online is kind of like mine. Oh my God, that's so horrible. I'm sorry that you had to go through that. But there was also a shocking amount though We've been on the internet for a while. It's not crazy to think that this would happen. But a troubling number of people who blamed her. With people writing things like, well, what did you expect with this fame? Your content is actively sexual and male general public is basically lonely and loopy. Glad you're okay, but this does not surprise me at all. As well as, I'm not being a dick or anything, or maybe I am, but maybe just maybe being half naked on the internet for everyone to see will have guys stalking and finding you. Because your gaming stuff is sexy clickbait to people to wank off to, so of course crazies want you. And about her even speaking about this openly with people saying, 
I think you're somehow proud of having the stalker chasing you and you're bragging about it. And his attention builds you up and gives you an enormous amount of self-confidence. Enjoy it while you can, LOL. How about you go fall down some stairs, LOL? Jesus, the internet has just fucking eroded people's minds where we don't even see people as fucking people. Like, thank God Caitlyn makes enough money that she's actually able to like properly defend herself, but how many others can't? Like as weird as this situation is, it's not unique. Many creators, especially female creators, have to deal with bullshit like this all the time, but it's just not talked about more because people are scared, oh shit, it's gonna happen more if I do. And that's of just people that I'm talking about that have audiences. The, the sheer number of fucking stalking in general is shocking. Like the more women you talk to in your life about this, the more you realize, oh, this is not as uncommon as I thought. Oh shit's scary out there. And then where in the hell is Greg Gianforte? Right, that's what a ton of people are wondering right now because Montana is being absolutely battered right now by historic flooding, but Gianforte, who's governor of the state, seems to be nowhere to be found. For example, at and around Yellowstone National Park, you've got bridges getting washed out, whole houses being pulled into the floodwaters. In some counties, the waters have now even isolated several communities. And now you have those same waters threatening to cut off fresh drinking water supplies to Montana's largest city. In fact, officials in that city, Billings, asked residents yesterday to conserve water because it was down to a 24 to 36 hour supply. That, after flooding, forced them to shut down the water treatment plant for the city. And so with all of that happening on Tuesday, Gianforte's office declared a statewide disaster, but like I mentioned, no one actually seemed to know where he was. It's been a straight up Carmen San Diego situation with his office offering some clues. With him finally saying yesterday to the Montana Free Press that he left the country last week prior to the flooding on a long scheduled personal trip with his wife. But still, for some reason, not saying what country he was in or when he'd be coming back, only offering that the governor is returning early and as quickly as possible. And while Gianforte seems active on Twitter, with NBC Montana also reporting that the governor is being regularly briefed, this has undoubtedly led to a flood of criticism. With Sheila Hogan, executive director of the Montana Democratic Party, saying, in a moment of unprecedented disaster and economic uncertainty, Gianforte purposefully kept Montanans in the dark about where he was and who was actually in charge. Again, we ask, where in the world is Governor Gianforte? Also, notable people and creators such as Hank Green, who actually lives in Montana, wondering where Gianforte is and criticizing him even further in a since-deleted tweet. Though we have seen some defending Gianforte, like one public administration professor at Montana State University noting that there are legitimate reasons as to why Gianforte's office hasn't revealed his location. But even there, that professor also added that with the optics and the timing of this all, Conceptually, that doesn't really help. And saying the fact that the flooding is so extreme and his office has just been pretty recalcitrant about where he is and what's going on is not great. But also with this story, I wanna note Montana is not the only place right now where we're seeing detrimental flooding. Flooding and severe storms are also making their way into Michigan, causing the Abbott baby formula plant to shut down again, less than two weeks after it reopened to address the ongoing formula shortage in the country. With people now wondering, what does this mean for the timeline for getting the baby formula situation fixed? And kind of unfortunately, like the, the whereabouts of Gianforte, we don't know right now. Though Abbott says the closure will likely delay production and distribution for a few weeks, but it didn't give an exact date. But yeah, this literal storm has created a shitstorm. But from that, I want to take a second to thank the fantastic sponsor of today's show, Keeps. Did you know that two out of three guys will experience some form of male pattern baldness by the time that they're 35? Maybe it's on your mind because you have that friend or the family member that's dealing with hair loss, and you don't have to just wait around for that to happen to you. Whether you're looking to prevent hair loss, stimulate hair growth, or just take better care of the hair that you have, Keeps has you covered. Keeps helps you stop hair loss before it's too late with a scientific and affordable approach to treatments that are up to 90% effective at reducing and stopping further hair loss. And in addition to clinically proven treatments, Keeps has an award-winning all-natural thickening shampoo and conditioner system. Plus, you can get all these products delivered directly to your door, meaning no more going in person to the doctor's office for your prescription, saving you both valuable time and money. So if you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to keeps.com slash DeFranco, or just click that link in the description to receive 50% off your first order. And then, y'all, we need to talk about this because it's not even the general election yet, and Trump supporting local election officials are already using the big lie to undermine the will of voters and democracy itself. Right, so this story starts in the small 
small rural county of Otero, New Mexico, which is home to 66,000 people. And like the rest of New Mexico, Otero County held its primary elections last week on June 7th. But unlike the rest of the state, the county's three election commissioners basically said, nah, we're not gonna go ahead and certify the results of this primary. And that's where the reasoning here, surprise, surprise, it was the same old bullshit nonsense about Dominion voting machines we've seen from Trump supporting big lie liars. According to reports, the effort appears to be largely at the urging of Otero County Commissioner Coy Griffin, who has unsurprisingly pushed Trump's false election claims and is known for making inflammatory remarks like when he said in 2020, the only good Democrat is a dead Democrat. And if you're thinking, Ah, uh, that seems like something that should disqualify an election official from being an election official. Yeah, and so should the fact that this man was literally convicted of illegally trespassing on Capitol grounds during the insurrection and is set to be sentenced tomorrow. With Griffin here is saying that the board, which voted against certifying the results on Monday, still has concerns about election security. This despite, please remember the fact that not one, but three official audits of the 2020 election results found no evidence of widespread fraud. And understand, even the super sketchy partisan firm that the commissioners hired to do another audit came to the same conclusion. But still, you had Griffin arguing that the machine software has not been updated since 2011, which is literally a lie because the version of software on New Mexico's machines wasn't even released until years after, and a bipartisan commission recertified the machines last year. He also claimed the machines could be hacked despite the fact that they are not connected to the internet. Beyond the fact that their concerns were based on totally bogus claims, the commissioners also had literally no evidence that there were any issues with how the votes were counted, which means their decision not to certify the election appeared to be in violation of state law, which says that the county board needs to prove discrepancies in returns before making such a decision. But also, shocker, this isn't the only thing the commissioners did that was widely believed to be illegal. Last week, they also voted to recount ballots by hand, remove state-mandated ballot drop boxes, and end the use of Dominion machines. Moves that were so sketchy that even the Republican county clerk said it went against state and federal law, noting that they can't just unilaterally decide that ballots need to be hand-counted. So, as a result of this apparent law-breaking, New Mexico's Democratic Secretary of State sued the three commissioners earlier this week, asking the state Supreme Court to intervene and make them certify the votes. With part of the reason we're talking about this now being that the court did step in and order these county fuckwads to actually do their jobs. Now, as far as what happens next, the commissioners have refused to make comments to the media on if they will obey this order, but notably in the Monday hearing where the commissioners decided against certifying the votes, one of them seemed to laugh the idea that they could be forced by the courts to change their minds, saying, so what? They're going to send us to the pokey? Which, actually regarding that, the Secretary of State's office said that they were pursuing a criminal referral that could lead to the commissioners being charged with contempt of court or removed from office if they refuse. So we're gonna have to wait to see what happens, but I mean, one of the scariest parts of this story and it's saying a lot because a lot of it is horrifying. It's just the blind confidence among assholes operating on literally no facts whatsoever that they can do whatever they want. And pending in other places, the right people not being there to stop people like this, it's, it's gonna be a shit show. And then we need to talk about how just ahead of the third January 6th committee hearing today, the panel's chair said it intends to seek testimony from Ginny Thomas, the wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. Because apparently while her husband was getting rock hard that he was gonna finally be able to undermine women's rights, she was busy undermining democracy. A true power couple or power coup bull. Y'all, just because more and more bad things keep happening doesn't mean dad jokes go away. If anything, that means more dad jokes. Right, but all this news is coming after sources told the Washington Post that the committee obtained email correspondence between Ginny Thomas and lawyer John Eastman, who notably is a former law clerk for Justice Thomas, who played a major role in efforts to overturn the election, and specifically the attempt to get Mike Pence to do so, which is the focus of the committee hearing today. And while currently the exact contents of the emails are unclear, according to the Post, they quote, show that Thomas's efforts to overturn the election were more extensive than previously known. But a few months ago, the Post and CBS obtained 
campaign texts that show Ginny Thomas playing an active role in encouraging former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows to take steps to help overturn the election. While that was and is still concerning, the committee was reportedly leaning at that time away from asking her to come and testify. I mean, as recently as last weekend, one member of the panel told NBC News that she was not the focus of this investigation. But in a statement to Axios today, saying the committee will likely reach out to Ginny Thomas, Chairman Benny Thompson appeared to confirm that the decision was promoted by the emails. And so if the emails between Eastman and Ginny Thomas changed the committee's decision on seeking testimony, they have to be pretty major. Especially because sources also told the New York Times yesterday that a separate email Eastman sent to the Trump team indicated he had knowledge of a heated fight between the Supreme Court justices over whether to hear an election case. Though, of course, it is possible that Eastman was just lying, but the possibility of a SCOTUS leak is very significant, especially as some have noted given Eastman's newly revealed correspondence with the Supreme Court justice's spouse. Eastman, for his part, addressed the news in a substack where he claimed he didn't have any inside information about the court, so he either lied then or he's lying now. But regardless, the fact that he was in contact with Ginny Thomas is super sketchy, especially when you consider the absolutely horrifying details we just learned about this guy in the committee hearing, which I'll hit on in a minute. Now, with all that said, as far as the hearing today, like I kind of touched on, the overarching theme was the committee laying out its case that Trump was told that his plan to get Pence to overturn the 2020 election was illegal, but he still pressured the vice president to go along with it, and when he refused, turned a violent mob on him. With Greg Jacob, Pence's top White House lawyer, saying that the vice president never believed he had the power to do so. Beyond that, Pence's chief of staff, Mark Short, also said in video testimony that many of Trump's top advisors believe Pence couldn't reject the electoral votes, including Mark Meadows, and adding that Pence himself told Trump many times that he did not have the power to do what he was asking. But the witnesses testified how Trump still repeatedly tried to convince Pence to undermine the election at the extensive urging of Eastman. Right, and to that point, another major focus of the committee and the testimony they heard was the intense pressure campaign Eastman waged to get Pence to not certify the election at any cost, with a former White House attorney saying he warned Eastman his actions would result in violence and a riot, and claiming Eastman responded by saying violence had been necessary to protect democracy at other points in history. But despite those efforts, Jacob told the members that Eastman had undermined his own argument multiple times, including one instance two days before the insurrection when he said in front of Trump that the plan to have Pence obstruct certification would violate the law. Witnesses also telling the committee about Trump's escalating pressure on Pence, including calling him names, saying he was a wimp on a call the morning of January 6th, and condemning him for not doing what he asked. With Short testifying, he even told Pence's lead Secret Service agent that there may be a risk because Trump was going to lash out in some way at Pence. Committee leaders also playing video testimony from top staffers who said Trump knew the Capitol was under attack and that Pence was inside when he was tweeting criticism of him, including the infamous post where Trump said Pence didn't have the courage to follow his demands, which was sent before the crowd surged. The representatives further worked to connect Trump's efforts to pressure Pence with the violence we saw on January 6th, with him noting that Trump had falsely told his supporters at the rally before the insurrection that Pence had the power to overturn the election for him and that he just needed to have courage, and then going on to show footage of rioters threatening to attack and kill Pence once he made clear that he wasn't going to obey Trump, with the panel also emphasizing how serious these people actually were, specifically citing a confidential witness in a case against the Proud Boys that members of the group would have actually killed Pence and others like Nancy Pelosi if they had the chance. Right, Pence was in real danger here with members revealing that at one point, Pence was just 40 feet away from the mob calling for his death. But despite that, they also said he refused to evacuate out of the Capitol because he didn't want to satisfy the crowd. And so with this, you have the committee concluding by praising the courage of Pence as well as the other witnesses, with Liz Cheney providing a brief closing statement, again, underscoring the theme of the day and saying that the next committee hearing will focus on the effort by Trump, Eastman, and others to pressure local Republicans to overturn the election results. But ultimately, that is where that story in today's show ends. As always, thank you for watching, liking, and being a part of that conversation. If you want more news, I got you covered right here. But my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces, and I'll see you on Monday.